my mind of you And everywhere I turn is a reminder Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth. Jesus Christ is God. We worship the one and only true God. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 affirm that he is God. For in Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, There is permanently and continuously at home all the fullness of absolute deity living in bodily form. And you believers in Christ are in union with him, filled with a state of fullness. And Jesus is the head over all rulers and over all authority. He is God the Son. That's why we call him Lord. He is fully God, 100% deity. He is Jesus, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, so he is fully human, just like you and me, 100% true humanity. And these two separate natures, God and human, are combined in one person, making him the unique individual of the universe and the one and only one worthy of our worship. Well, why does Barah Ministries exist? This ministry is provided by God for your benefit, so that you might have a sanctuary, a safe refuge in which to learn. Learning God's Word gives you God's perspective on life so you don't have to operate as the rest of the world does from a flawed human perspective. Our human power is not good enough to solve most of the problems in our lives, yet we always go to our human power to get things done as Christians when we have the supernatural power of our God. It amazes me to watch Christians doubt whether they can accomplish certain things. It amazes me to see the little boxes of unsuccess that Christians are willing to put themselves in when they have the sovereign God of the universe on their side and when we have the victory as a result of our relationship with him. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the Lord warns us. He says, do not be conformed to this world. And the world is a system. And this confirmation, this this twisting of us is done by Satan, God's enemy, by his cosmic system of thought, which is perpetrated by the media and by the flesh resident in you. That's that little voice that's always telling you what you can't do that you never seem to get rid of. Instead of being conformed to this world, keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit through the renewing of your mind as you study the Word of God. See, coming here 
to study the word of God is different than everything you do in life. And that's not what Christians, Christians don't understand that, honestly. They, what they try to do is just to make this like everything else in their life. They treat it like Christianity, like it's a smartphone. And they just want to customize it and individualize it as opposed to going to a place where you can gather with other Christians and get the edification you need to be able to compete in this world system. And so we're going to talk about that a bit, not only today, but in the next lessons. Continuing Romans 12, 2. So don't be conformed to this world, but keep on being transformed by God the Holy Spirit uh, through the study of the Word of God so that you may see clearly through the testing of experience what the will of God is. And the will of God is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to Him, and that which is perfect in result. And to have somebody like God on your side is one of the most amazing things that you could ever experience. And, you know, it's not, it's not just this little, you know, oh, well, I'm a Christian and God's on my side. It's not that stuff. You know, it's just really experiencing in the depth of your soul that God is for you and he's never against you. Now, why do Christians study the Word of God? Well, by studying the Word of God, we allow God's truth to shape our reality instead of letting the world's lies shape our reality. When we watch movies, when we watch television, when we binge Netflix and Hulu and all those services, we're being propagandized. We're being told that certain lifestyles, there's no difference between this lifestyle and that lifestyle. That's not what the Bible says. And so, you know, you don't want to get up and say that stuff because maybe you won't be, uh, you'll be homophobic or unacceptable. But the things that are going on in our world today are things, this, it's actually light compared to things that were going on in the first century. You know, we think we're doing something special in the lifestyles we're creating here, but those lifestyles were, were running a long time ago. I, I did an extensive study of Roman and Greek culture all through high school and college. The stuff we're doing is, is child's play compared to what was going on back then. But we study the Word of God because God is telling us what the right lifestyle is to run. And the right lifestyle to run is the one that is supportive of you being the amazing being that God predetermined you to be in eternity past. And I, there isn't anybody who's listening to this message that is really, truly in touch with how amazing you can be. You have no idea how great you can be, but you do know what you've settled for. And that is not God's wish for you, not at all. So by studying the Word of God, we allow God's truth to shape our reality instead of letting lies shape our reality. And here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is Solomon, David's son, talking. He says, hear, O sons and daughters, the instruction of a father, and give attention that you may gain understanding. For I give you sound teaching. Do not abandon my instruction. That's the wish of every parent. Every parent wishes that their kids would listen to sound instruction. Why? Because you don't get old being a fool, Richard Pryor said. Why? Because you've walked down every 
path and you've fallen in every hole and when you turn around to the previous generation to your kids you don't want them to fall in the same holes and you know kids have this propensity for i want to do it on my own nobody in this life succeeds on their own and so generation after generation the word of god provides the truth to anyone who wants to hear it instruction directly from god the bible is not a book The Bible is the exact thinking of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and it was dictated word for word to the people who wrote it in such a way that it did not modify in any way their personality or their style, but they wrote exactly what God wanted us to hear. Well, God has an enemy, and that's completely lost on most people in the world today, the reality that God has an enemy, and in grace, God allowed Satan the enemy of God, to be the ruler of this world. It will not surprise you at all that Satan is the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world. The judgment was the judgment that he accomplished at the cross because that was the Lord's strategic victory over Satan, the cross. And now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He's going to be dethroned from his rulership of the earth at a future time. Because we are believers in Christ and God chose to put us in Satan's kingdom to live, we, now, we know an undeniable truth that's revealed in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. It says this, God's enemy is the serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan, the one who deceives the whole world. Satan is a liar. He deceives all of us, me, you, everybody. And how is Satan deceiving you? That's a question that you really need to think about. How is he deceiving you? What lifestyle has he sucked you into? What patterns has he sucked you into? Because the one thing I hate about Satan, but it's totally predictable, is he will always suck you into a lifestyle and then blame you for, for listening to him and then give you the invoice. You pay. He never pays. But we have a God in the Lord Jesus Christ who went to the cross to die to pay for every sin we'd ever commit, past, present, and future. Amen? Amen. And so don't ever trust somebody who's always sucking you in, advising you, and then they never pay. Right? It's like going to a restaurant with Zachary. My goodness. <laughs> he never pays. I don't get it. It's like, could I get a could I get an In and Out burger like once? <laughs> so, which of Satan's deceptions are you allowing to rule your life? Today's Bible lesson: the lessons of sabbatical for you and me. So, a sabbatical rest is similar to the weekly Jewish celebration of Shabbat. It's a time to stop working, a time for rest. And so from November of last year until today, I was on a sabbatical rest, as were you. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, God was the first to take a sabbatical rest. It says this, By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Genesis 2, 3, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Sanctified it means setting it apart. We as believers in Christ have salvation. That's the first phase of God's plan for us. The second phase is sanctification, where he sets us apart for a series of privileges that stagger our imagination. So 
then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, setting it apart, because on the seventh day God rested from all his work which he had created and made. And in today's lesson, we'll explore the things to be learned from this 13-month and a few weeks sabbatical rest. Well, let's hear some music. If we believers in Christ know that we are filled up with all the fullness of our God, then we know his unconditional love, his forgiveness, and his grace offers us everything we need. That's the thing we have to get as Christians, that God has provided us everything we need and that we are totally sufficient and there's never a reason to worry about a single thing. Well, here's Chris Tomlin singing praises to the Lord in his song, Your Grace is Enough. the sinner's heart 
Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for reminding us believers in Christ that there's no reason to be discouraged by things going on in the world. Everything happening here has passed through your sovereign decision process, and you allow all these things for our benefit. Thank you for reminding us that we already have the victory in everything we do through your amazing Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who paid a very personal price to provide us with the victory. Remind us, through the lessons of the Word of God, to tap into the supernatural power provided by God the Holy Spirit in every single thing we do. Help us to see life with spiritual eyes as we take in your Word in today's lesson. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, the lessons of sabbatical for you and for me. Well, what are the lessons of sabbatical? Let's explore five lessons that stood out in the last 13 months. First of all, what is a sabbatical? A sabbatical is, uh, the, the first lesson is that sabbatical is a rest, not an end. So what is a sabbatical? A sabbatical is a period of paid leave granted to a teacher for study or travel, traditionally one year for every seven years worked. So I've worked for 24 years, and I've only taken one. So I was contemplating just taking three. You know, I, I, I got three coming. I was contemplating taking all three in a row because you kind of get used to having your weekends free. But I chose not to do that. So right at the beginning of sabbatical, three people provided financial gifts that made it obvious that this ministry was to continue operations. So I think there there are people who thought, oh, well, he's not coming back. Yeah, you wish. <laughs> no, uh, And notice, God made sure that the gifts were given before the sabbatical began and before they were ne- needed to leave no doubt that God's ministry... Barah Ministries would continue. So from November 28, 2021 to January 14, 2023, God pressed pause on this ministry, but not on the pastor. There was work to be done on the pastor even amidst the rest. And that's one of the things that you figure out really quickly, that rest is overrated. But it is necessary because it's a chance to relax and to recharge. In Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, the Lord encourages all of us to rest. Here's what he says. He says, therefore, let us believers in Christ fear, if we're to fear anything, that while a promise remains of entering God's rest, that any one of you would seem to have come short of it. How often do you allow yourself to rest without guilt? That's not what we do. We're on a a hamster wheel, and we're just going and going and going. You can't even watch sports without 80 things bombarding you. The mind toggles. The mind does not multitask. Multitasking is one of the big lies of our generation. So you're watching a screen. You've got the announcers yelling at each other at a volume that's way too loud. You've got a scroll going across the bottom. You've got stuff going down the left side. You've got stuff going across. What is all that for? It's to teach us not to concentrate. 
you've got your phone bleeding at you every two minutes. What's it about? It's teaching you not to concentrate. And you know what the, the, the casualty has been? People don't read anymore. They scan things. And they're just looking for the highlights. And those highlights are called takeaways. Takeaways. That's not, that's not how you really learn anything. You don't learn anything from surface takeaways. You learn from getting deep into a subject and sucking all the marrow out of it. But that's what's happening to us. So because I was resting doesn't mean that I wasn't being bombarded. I want to share some of the things that were bombarding me uh, as we went through. But they were th- the same thing was happening to you. So rest is overrated, but it's necessary because it's a chance to relax and recharge. But Hebrews says, hey, don't neglect the rest. Here's Hebrews 4.2. For indeed, we believers in Christ have had the good news of the gospel message preached to us. What's the good news of the gospel message? Believe in Christ, eternal life. Reject Christ, eternal condemnation. And unbelievers have heard it too. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. I I can't tell you how many times I've told people how simple it is to be saved. And they go, well, this seems too simple. Yeah, for you, you didn't have to live a 33-year sinless life and go to a cross and get slaughtered to pay for your ability to have it that easy. And there are going to be so many people in the lake of fire later who are shocked that they're there, first of all, because they were doing all these wonderful things that they thought were so wonderful to build their legacy. And none of that was important at all in the matter of salvation. Salvation is so easy. It's a single moment in time, about a 20-second conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ, and that's the moment of eternal life for you. And People just think they have a lot of time and they don't pay much attention to something as simple but as powerful as that. So sabbatical rest offers perspective. At the beginning of sabbatical, my eyes were on people. My eyes were on all the hurts I've experienced over the years while teaching the Word of God. God the Holy Spirit grabbed me by the ear and dealt with that problem really quickly. He kept giving me the thought, sheep are going to be sheep. Sheep are the dumbest animals in the world. It is not a coincidence that God compares himself to being a shepherd and us to being sheep because he knows that we are the dumbest animals in the world. We don't know when to eat. We don't know when to sleep. We don't know when to drink water. We don't know when to lay down. We don't need to know when to get up. That's sheep, and that's why they need a shepherd. And so... uh, You know, when you think about people, we'd all love it if people would act differently than they do, especially family members, if people would act differently than we expect, but they don't. People hurt us, especially those we let close, and there's no need to be surprised ever again. There's no need for you to hold out thinking, oh, it's going to be different this time. It's not going to be different this time, and you know it. So then God, the Holy Spirit, led me to an intense study of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And whenever you think people are doing you wrong, just go study the Gospels. And you don't even have to study it, just read it. Because no matter what our perfect Lord and Savior did, the scribes and the Pharisees found a way to reject their Messiah and to inflict pain on him. And these guys were supposed to be the spiritual giants of the day, and they knew 
that he was the Messiah. They knew from his works that he was the Messiah. They knew that nobody else was doing the things that he was doing, performing the miracles he was performing to bring attention to the message that he was the Messiah. They knew the 109 things that were going to point to him being the Messiah, and they completely ignored him and mistreated him. And if they persecuted him, they will persecute us because a slave is not greater than his master. So the hurts I've experienced in my 24 years of teaching and nearly 68 years of life are nothing when compared to the hurts that Jesus Christ experienced during his 33 years on earth. Therefore, rest. The sabbatical rest was a time to focus on the spiritual life and to come at life in a new way using this amazing gift of the spiritual life. The Lord gave you rest too. What did you learn during your rest? So here are some questions for reflection, the lessons for you. When when do you intentionally schedule rest from the rigors of the world? When do you intentionally put it on your calendar? These two hours are mine and I'm going to rest. And it's, it's really interesting when those times have no input, not two hours sitting watching NCIS. You know, two hours of just absolute quiet where you just get your head together. You sit there with a notepad and a pen and you just empty the contents of your mind onto a piece of paper. Do you ever do that? What are you learning during the restful times? Because those restful times are really important. Do do you deserve two hours a week or even two hours a day to just rest? I think you do, and I think it's really tremendously valued, valuable, the things you learn and the perspective you get when you do that. Some more questions. How did you choose to feed your spiritual life during your sabbatical? I, I suggested that you study the, the Gospel of John with Pastor John Farley, but did you do it, or did you just wander around like a sheep waiting for the shepherd to come back? What insights did you experience? concerning your life questions illuminate and these are questions that you need to answer when at rest we have no choice but to be dependent on god and god proved himself dependable in 2022 he taught me that a life of run 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 is not as fulfilling as a life of rest 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 I didn't know what to do with myself on weekends because I was used to having my weekends prescribed for me. And quite frankly, this weekend, I didn't know what to do either because it was getting back into the routine. And I will tell you, I missed it. I missed the routine. I missed the six by six space that is right here that makes total sense to me. This space makes total sense to me and the world makes zero sense to me. So... When we rest as Christians, we know that through our faith in God, without a single doubt or reservation, that God has everything covered in our lives. And I think that is so important for us to get that the only thing that God requires of us is mustard seed type faith, which is the smallest of all the seeds. He knows who we are. He knows we're sheep. He doesn't require a lot of us. But we don't take advantage of his rest. We don't. We're do, 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 the do, do life. 
What's the second lesson? Barah Ministries is God's ministry. In eternity past, the Lord Jesus Christ's creation, Barah Ministries, was born. The Lord decided the name of his ministry, where his ministry would be located. He selected a pastor whom he would place at the head of this ministry. He funded the ministry, and he decided who would benefit from his ministry and brought them together. People came from all over the country to be part of Barah Ministries, including me, because I'm a Chicagoan and now I'm in Phoenix. So he moved me over here because he knew that I don't like cold weather. Amen? He knew I don't like rain. I don't like clouds. I don't like any of that. So I have a minimum of it here. I love Phoenix. Now, all of these things were done before the world was even created. As we learn in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 6, it says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, every single blessing that you need. You're going to need blessings two weeks from now that you don't even know you need, and God has already put those in place and is going to reveal them to you at that time. And who did he do it for? For those of us in union with Christ. Ephesians 1.4. Just as God the Father chose us believers to be in union with Christ before the foundation of the world, that's the doctrine of election, that we would be holy and blameless before the Father. Do you know that about yourself? Do you know that when God the Father looks at you, he sees the exact same thing that he sees when he's looking at Jesus Christ? Perfection, holiness, and blamelessness. Not that there's any single thing in you that is worthy of that, but he gave it to you as a gift. And so that's how he sees you. Is that how you see yourself? When you got up in the mirror and looked at yourself this morning and scared yourself yourself nearly to death, were you thinking, hello, good morning, holy, perfect, and blameless one? Were you thinking that? No, you were not thinking that. You were thinking, hello, scary person. But that's not the way God the Father looks at you. Ephesians 1, 5. In unconditional love. What's unconditional love? A love with no condition. God loves you in a way that doesn't require one thing from you. Can you even wrap your head around that? That he requires nothing of you and that no matter what you do, he's going to love you. If you kill 10,000 people, he's going to love you. He doesn't like that, by the way. But no matter what you do, whatever the worst thing is that you think you've ever done, he has never stopped loving you. You have never been a disappointment to him, ever. And for you to even entertain that thought is ridiculous, but that's what the flesh in you does. It's telling you, oh, God's disappointed in you. God doesn't like you. You don't deserve this. Oh, that thing didn't work out for you? That's God punishing you. That is not the way God works, ever. In unconditional love, Ephesians 1, 5, God the Father predestined us believers in Christ to adoption as adult sons through Jesus Christ to himself. Who would adopt a teenager? Not too many people. Well, who would adopt an adult? Not too many people, but God adopted you as an adult and predestined you. What does that mean? He paid for everything you would ever spend for the rest of your life. Long before he even created you, he put that into place. That's what predestination means. And why did he do it? According to the kind intention of God the Father's will. Ephesians 1, 6. 
to the praise of the glory of God the Father's grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And beloved means the divinely loved one. And that's a reference here to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But all throughout the Bible, you as believers in Christ are called beloved. You are divinely loved. You may not get the love you want from human beings because human beings are conditional in their love. But our God is always loving you and always with you. So on January 8th, 2008 in Tucson, Arizona, the pastor of Barah Ministries was ordained and made manifest to the world. But God began preparing his pastor for work at a dining room table in the summer of 1999. Barah Ministries has been made manifest by God to the world for nearly 24 years, almost a quarter of a century. And I remember back to 1999 when it was me and my wife at the time, and four kids, Zachary Elliott, Leah, and Nicole, sitting at a dining room table, learning about the Word of God with puppets, Kermit the Frog and Clifford the Dog. That's how it all started. And then all of a sudden, people started coming to the house, and all of a sudden, I was tired of people eating all my stuff every weekend, so we had to get out of the house. (laughs) And we've just kept growing and growing ever since. This ministry was designed specifically for you. God had you by name in mind when he invited you to this ministry and to be a part of it. He gave you this ministry as a gift, just like he gives you salvation as a gift, absolutely free of charge. And how you treat the gift of this ministry matters to God. And there have been a lot of people who've come through this ministry uh, uh, over the course of time who have treated this ministry like dirt and who have treated this pastor like dirt. And God sees that, and that's not the way he wants us to behave. You know, I, I don't have any problem personally with unbelievers. Unbelievers are really easy units. But... You expect more from Christians, but expectations kill relationships, don't, don't, doesn't it? Because Christians treat you worse most of the time than unbelievers do. And that's sad because that's not God's will for us. So questions for reflection on this second thing. What makes this ministry special to you? What do you want to give to this ministry? And what do you want to get from the ministry? That those are the questions that you need to entertain because this is a gift. And what does Satan do? Satan, was the enemy of God, was the anointed cherub who covers. He was the bodyguard of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his job was to protect the throne room of God from the approach of evil. And what did he do? In Ezekiel chapter 28 and in Isaiah chapter 14, it says what he did. He profaned his sanctuary. Unlike dogs who will never take a dump in their own cage, human beings are always profaning their own sanctuaries. We build these, pl- these refuges, these safe places, and then we seek to destroy them. And why? Because we listen to the kingdom of darkness and death. We listen to the world We listen to that voice inside of us and we sabotage our own success. That is not God's plan for you. Amen? It's not his plan for you. You're better than that. Whatever life you, if you think your life is great right now, you haven't got the slightest idea what life God wants for you. 
And I see it all the time. I see people who think they're nothing, put in some effort, trust the Lord, and make amazing things happen. And it takes so much work to resist what God has planned for you. It's just incredible to me to watch human beings do that. Too often, over the course of this ministry, I wanted to speed up the pace of this ministry. Slow learner that I am, I now know that I do not control the pace of God's ministry. I wanted to force things. God gave us a piece of land on which to build a church. We have architectural drawings. They're gorgeous. And we can build as soon as we have the money. Well, God has yet to give us the money. But he gave us the land in 2011. So what does that tell you? I get calls from people every week who want to purchase that land. Like, nope, uh, yeah, $3 million. No? Okay, thanks. <laughs> and hang up. But God is much better at planning than we are, and he is infinitely patient, and he is assembling the people he knows will follow his instructions. And there is a core of people here at Barah Ministries who are more than willing to build an edifice to the glory of God when God's timing says it's right. So God made it clear that rest is a critical part of our spiritual journey. He also made it clear that Barah Ministries is his ministry. And he knows the plans he has for us, plans for our welfare and not for calamity to give us a future and a hope. And we wait and watch to see his glory unfolding in us. Well, when we return from our five-minute break, we'll learn three other very important lessons of sabbatical. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing Living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose so when I hear that devil start talking to me, saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm just a nobody, trying to tell everybody, all about somebody who saved my soul. Ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see, nobody but you.
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, the lessons of sabbatical for you and for me. Christians are to follow the Lord's example in everything, especially in giving. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son. Well, what's the best time for Christians to give? There must never be a time when we don't give. Everything we have comes from God. And when we give, we are simply redirecting the resources God has given us to his purposes. Giving expresses your faith in God. You don't worry about the amount you give because in faith you know God will return it to you abundantly. That's a promise of his in scripture. Let your giving rival God's giving and watch what flows to your life. Give something, give anything, give now and keep on giving. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages.
Good morning. Can you hear me? Check one. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. Good morning. My name is Denny. Denny Goodall. I'm a blessed to be a deacon for Barad Ministries. Maybe take it down a touch. Sounds bouncing a little bit. Let me start over. Good morning. My name is Denny. I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barad Ministries. Barad Ministries is a worldwide Christian church. This is a place for real people to come to listen to a real pastor teach real truth. And I've been waiting for this day for a whole year. I've been excited. It's been stressing me out, but it's also been really fun. And I, I'm, not, I'm not here to, to talk about the truth that we get from our pastor who scours the original language, the Koine Greek. It has one and only one meaning. And he spends his whole week looking at the, the verses. And I'm, I'm not here for that truth. I'm not here for the, the fellowship that we have, the amazing spiritual fellowship that we have when we come together, the ability to kind of take ourselves out of the caves that we put, put ourselves in mentally and to see each other's happy faces. And I'm not here for the truth. I'm not here for, the, for Christ, who's the, the center of our ministry, who, who gave himself up at the cross, who volunteered his, his life for ours. I'm here for your wallets. <laughs> because what I've been reflecting on is we've had a whole year to save week after week to give at the offering. So I've been excited because this is going to be the best offering I've ever had. You guys have had a whole year to save up and write large checks so that we can jump into the new year instead of just kind of stepping into the new year. So as you give at the offering, I want you to remember 2 Corinthians 9.7. Each must give just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I'm the first one that needs to hear that verse because I'm not always a cheerful giver. So if you're in the same boat as me, just remember, try to be cheerful, give as you can. You're the master of your, your finances, so you know what you can. Don't go over give. This is not tithing. This is not a tax. This is something you give because you want to give. So thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, everybody that's helped get this back going. And let's start the new year off great. So hit it, Zach. <laughs> I've got one response. I 
Bible lesson, the lessons of sabbatical for you and me. Thank you, Deacon Denny, for <laughs> funny and inspirational message. The best lesson of sabbatical concerns our relationship with Christ. So the first two are, you know, rest, 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 rest is better than run, run, run. And then the second one was, this is uh, God's ministry, not our ministry. Lesson three is Christ. When the Lord Jesus Christ is the subject, the lessons are innumerable. And at the beginning of sabbatical, I remember feeling completely helpless and totally powerless. And as a a boy who grew up in the ghetto, I hate feeling that way. That was not a safe way to feel growing up where I grew up. I could hear God the Holy Spirit rubbing his hands together when I was feeling helpless and powerless, saying, ha ha, now I have you where I want you. And he surfaced calming voices in my soul, calming verses in my soul, like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We Christians are to be fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who instead of the joy then present in him as deity, chose to endure the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. So... Eyes off people, eyes on God. And when this transformation happens in our lives, we become aware of an ever-present reality for Christians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. The reality, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many things can we do? All. All. Are you thinking like that? What are the problems that you have right now that you think aren't solvable? This says... All things are solvable through Christ. And so the problem for us as Christians is we want to solve all our problems on our own. We don't have the power to solve all our problems on our own. And one of the things I've come to love as a result of the sabbatical rest and just backing off and getting a perspective is the the joy I feel every time I'm doing something and I feel like I can't do it or I feel like it's going to be hard, or I feel like, well, you know, uh, how am I going to get it done? I don't have to worry because I know I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So you heard it right, all things. How often do your limiting thoughts sabotage what you're capable of? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are reminded of who we are in union with Christ, and you should never forget that. Who are you in union with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says this, As believers in Christ, we are God the Father's workmanship. To, To God, you are a piece of art. And he is the one who, who painted the picture of you. You're a, you're, you are his workmanship, created to be in union with Christ Jesus and designed for good works. Which good works? 
which good works God the Father prepared beforehand in eternity past so that we would create a lifestyle with them. And the, 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 what you hear in the Bible typically whenever it refers to lifestyle is that we would walk in them. That means that we would have a lifestyle of doing what God wants us to do. So that's the question that is constantly, first and foremost, in my face. What is God's next thing that he wants me to do? I know that he wanted me to be a pastor teacher because he gave me the gift of pastor teacher. I know that he wanted to, me to express my gift by standing in front of you and teaching the word of God. I know that. But what's next? I know that he's brought people in, into my life by a divine appointment and giving me the opportunity to evangelize to them. I, I evangelized to a guy recently who's a, who's a millionaire, and he was, he's talking about having a legacy. Okay, well, that's fantastic, but there's no better legacy to have than a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I shared the gospel message with him. I have another friend, who, a young man, who discovered that he had lung cancer. And it was quite a surprise. He's got young kids. And I evangelized to him. And it was interesting to hear his viewpoint. And so these are divine appointments. These are people that God brought into my life for me to give a message to. And he's doing the same thing with you. But do you notice? Are you so self-conscious that you're worried about what you're going to say? You don't have to worry about what you're going to say. God, the Holy Spirit's going to do the talking anyway. And, you know, at the end of this lesson, we're going to have the gospel message. You can just print it out and hand it to somebody. And that is as effective at, at evangelism as anything. Because you want people that you care about to know exactly what it takes to get to heaven. And you don't want them to ever be confused about it. Because I'll tell you, when you come to that day and you hear that word, oh, sorry, Mr. Clark, I'd like to tell you you have cancer. That's not the time when you want to be thinking about your spiritual life. You're, you're going to be reeling when you hear that. And so, or, or when you go to hospice, you know that you're about two, you've got two hours of coherence left. That's not the time to start making your decisions about Christ. The time is right now, digging a well before you're thirsty. And so you believers in Christ, remember that you're God's workmanship and that he brings you divine appointments so that you can make a difference on this planet in Satan's kingdom. And that's what irritates Satan. He, it, we irritate him because we are the light in his kingdom of darkness. Now, our Lord has big plans for each of us. Will we let him achieve what he wants to achieve in our lives? Or we, do we have a better idea? And human beings always have a better idea than God. There are no better ideas than what God has planned for us. So at rest, we learned to stop looking in the rearview mirror of life. That was a huge lesson for me. We stopped trying to fix the things we regret that we can do nothing about. Because I found myself all the time looking in the past. Man, if I just hadn't gotten divorced. Man, if I had just done this as a dad. Man, if I had just done that as a dad. Man, if I had been a better friend in this situation. I can't fix any of that stuff. But all of that stuff is the stuff that got me to this point where I have the perspective I have about what, friendship really is and how to take care of friendships and how to take care of relationships and so it was all that tribulation all that adversity that brought us to this moment and so in in your car the windshield is huge but the rearview mirror is small and it's intentional don't be looking at that 
Don't be looking in the rearview mirror thinking you can fix the past. Stop obsessing about the mistakes you made. Who cares? Nobody cares. And yeah, you've got a lot of people in your life who are probably reminding you of who you were. <laughs> who you were. That's your family. You know, every Christmas, every every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, you got to be around your family, and they're telling you who you were. They don't know who you are today. They're out of touch. So don't look in the rearview mirror and think you can fix things because you really can't. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14 say this. Not that I, Paul, have already obtained it, the it being knowing the Lord intimately, knowing the power of his resurrection, experiencing the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Not that I have obtained any of that yet. Not that I've already been made spiritually mature by God. There are a lot of Christians out there who think it's their responsibility to make themselves spiritually mature. It is not. It is God the Holy Spirit's job to make you spiritually mature. But I press on to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Philippians 3.13, brethren, that's a, a reference to believers in Christ. I, Paul, do not regard myself as having laid hold of spiritual maturity yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, not looking in the rearview mirror, and reaching forward to what lies ahead. If Paul wanted to look in the rearview mirror, what he would see is all the people that he killed or sponsored uh, the killing of because he wanted to wipe out the Christian church. His singular goal when he was a Pharisee was to wipe out the Christian church. And God knocked him off of his high horse and took the worst person who has ever lived and turned him into the best believer that's ever been. Paul did not do that himself. God did that for him. Philippians 3.14. So I, Paul, keep on pursuing through the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit the goal for the prize of the upward call of God the Father for those of us in union with Christ Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, that's what you have to look forward to, the upward call of of God the Father in Christ Jesus. I can't wait until I get that call. And I'm not in a hurry to get it. But there's going to be a day when he says, Rory, it is finished. And I'm saying, let's go. Let's go. Take me to the neighborhood. Please do not have June Murphy in my neighborhood. That's all I ask. I'm not asking a lot. <laughs> I miss June. Of course she's going to be my neighbor. And she's going to be laughing and all the stuff that she does. Well, God, the Holy Spirit was reminding me that the Lord Jesus Christ works in me and through me to accomplish his purpose here on earth. And he works in you and through you to do the same. Our lives seldom look like we think they should, but they always look like God thinks they should. So some questions for reflection. What does the Lord want for those of us who are in union with him. And every believer in Christ is in union with Christ. Now, what does that mean? At the moment of salvation, through the baptism of God, the Holy Spirit, you are placed into union with Christ, and it's a union you cannot get out of. And no matter how hard you try to pull away from him, he follows you wherever you go. You are in union with Christ, and that gives you eternal security because he's never going to let you go. And that's an amazing thing. And there are people who will tell you that you can lose your salvation. They are out of their minds. So 
what does the Lord want for those of us who are in union with him? Our highest and best. What does the Lord want from those who are in union with him? Our highest and best. And how much scheduled time do you set aside each week to nurture your relationship with God? You know, it's so funny that we think we're going to have a relationship with somebody, but we spend no time with them. We don't talk to them. We don't interact with them, but we have a relationship with them. Well, God allows that, but it's not his preference. That's not the way he wants us to work. True wealth comes from our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Supernatural power comes from our study of the word of God. Thus, lesson four, the word of God. John chapter 15, verse 7 says this, If you believers in Christ abide in me, and that if is a third-class condition, if maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. And my words abide in you, maybe. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. We always hear the, the story of Aladdin's lamp. You know, we're walking along and picked up a lamp and we rubbed the lamp and a genie came out and said, we'll grant you three wishes. Well, God is the same genie, just he, he gives you unlimited wishes. That verse says, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. And of course, whatever you wish that's in his will. It is not his will that you kill people. It is not his will that you do drugs. It is not his will that you do anything that is injurious to you. But within his will, anything you ask, he will do it. So how often do you count on human power rather than counting on God's power? Powerless is good for the Christian. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says that. When I am weak, that's when I'm strong because the divine power of God dwells in me. Sabbatical was a time to get deep into the word of God. Now when I study the word of God, I see his person, his plan, his provision, his protection, his pardon, his presence, and his promises popping off the page. In, I did an in-depth study of 14 of the 27 New Testament books. And now when I look at a letter in the New Testament, I know it was... I, I know from what I know it from what God has taught. I know that when I read Philemon, uh, which is a single chapter, I know that that's a chapter about forgiveness. I know when I study Philippians, that's about joy. I know that when I study First Corinthians, that's about sin. I know when I study Romans, it's the foundational book of biblical Christianity. If you haven't studied Romans, you need to study Romans. That's the book. I know that when we study Colossians, and that's the, the next study we're going to do, we're going to go back into Colossians and take that to completion. But what is Colossians all about? It's about false teachers and false teaching. And all of us have false teachers who are teaching us false things all the time. And I want you to be able to recognize that. So that's what happens when you get some rest and you can back off and get an in-depth study of scripture. So some questions for reflection for you. How much time do you schedule each day to study and to reflect on the word of God in a place of silence and quiet where the phone is off and nobody can get to you? How often do you let the cares of the world distract your study? There are times when I go into my sanctuary to study the word and to do prayer and I have my phone on and then boom, in come the messages. Turn it off. 
turn it off. So I set up an iPad for myself, and I don't have any apps on that iPad where somebody could get to me. And the world's going to be fine for an hour or two if you don't have any touch with them whatsoever. And what's the benefit of filling your soul with the truth? Because the only way to counteract the lies that we get in Satan's kingdom is with the truth. So we are gifted by God with 112 waking hours every week. We have 168 hours a week, 24-7. We sleep 56, which leaves 112 waking hours a week. If you study with Barah Ministries every week, you invest two of those hours. For the other 110 hours, you are under the influence of Satan and his world system of deception that talks to you through the flesh resident in your body. Isn't it time for you to gift more of your time to your relationship with God? The payoff is huge. The funniest part of sabbatical as it relates to the Word of God was Satan's constant attack on my already finished salvation. Satan wanted me to doubt that I am saved. I have never experienced as intense an attack as that over the course of 13 months. It was constantly, you're not saved, you're not saved, you're not saved. And I realized that, because it w- that it was because so many of the commentators that illuminate Scripture are legalists. They really think that Christianity is this nice thing, but if you just add something to it, it's better. No, it isn't. Perfection doesn't need anything added to it. And that's one of the lessons that we're going to take on next week. We're going to uh, redo the uh, Coeur d'Alene Conference lesson, which I did in August. And it will get you clear on what the two lifestyles Satan is offering you and how they are false, horrible lifestyles. And legalism was one of the themes of my sabbatical, just noticing it over and over. And Christians are so susceptible to it. They get in a position where they think that that their way of life is right and that everybody ought to conform to their way of life, and that anybody that's not conforming to their way of life is wrong. They look at another Christian, and they see that that Christian is doing something that is not part of the Christian way of life, and they think that, that it's their job to get the black robe on and to get up on the, on the, uh, on the whatever judges sit on and pound the gavel and proclaim, you are blah, blah, blah. And all they forget to do is look in the mirror. Because if any of us had uh, a notion to do it, we could, I could look at any of you and tell you all the things that are wrong with your life. I know what, what's wrong with your life. But the truth of the matter is, what's wrong with your life does not matter to me at all because I know that you're a work in progress. And I know as believers in Christ that God the Holy Spirit's got you and he, he is not going to fail with you. So I'm not worried about what missteps you're making along the journey. But the legalists are always shoving your missteps in your face and trying to make you feel bad about who you are and what you're doing. Well, unfortunately, for the people who do that with me, I don't feel bad about the missteps I'm making. I don't feel bad about all the things that I've done wrong in my life. I don't. I understand that I'm not perfect, and I also understand that I'm never going to be perfect. And we need to understand that as Christians and stop pointing fingers at people. So this 110 hours of deception 
that we're in needs something to counteract it. So some of those 110 hours need to be freed up to intentionally schedule time to be with God and to develop your relationship. So Satan wanted me to doubt that I'm saved. And with Satan, there is no rest. We believers in Christ are saved. There's nothing Satan can do about it, but he still wants wants us to doubt all the things that God has said about his provisions. The best lesson of sabbatical was the development of a prayer life. I prayed more this year than I have in my whole life. And I saw many prayers answered by our faithful God. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, the Lord says this, And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. When you believe it, you will see it. What does the world say? When, when I see it, I'll believe it. What does God say? When you believe it, you'll see it. So, what is prayer? Prayer is a conversation with God. Now, he doesn't answer. The way he answers is through thought, and the way he answers is through his word. But he doesn't talk to us like he did with the Old Testament believers. He doesn't appear to us like he did with the Old Testament believers. You remember Joseph. You know, Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, and he knew he had never had sex with her, and he was going to divorce her secretly. He knew that if he divorced her publicly, Mary was going to be stoned to death. He didn't want that because he loved her. So he was going to put her away secretly. And one of the angels of God appeared to him in a vision and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby was conceived by God the Holy Spirit. God doesn't talk to us that way anymore. He talks to us through his word. Back then the word was not written. The servants of God have a right to ask the master for help. And prayer involves drawing near to the throne of grace with absolute confidence, with demands, not cowering like, I know you don't want to do this, God, but could you possibly, maybe, if you have some time. It's not like that. In prayer, we express gratitude toward God for the things that he's given us, both prosperity and adversity. We intercede for others. We bring supernatural power to others. I can't tell you how many times I've heard friends tell me that they have cancer or a sickness or something, some malady. I've prayed for them, and God restored them to full health. The medical community had no answer, but God had an answer. Petition for self, and that can be higher on the list. God wants you to ask for the things that you want. From him, He knows that you want these things. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. But he wants you to say it. Because he's a gentleman. And he wants his will to be in line with your will. And then finally, protection from enemies. God says, pray for your enemies. And pray for those people who persecute you. And so I know for a fact that my enemies have have got to be the happiest people in the world this year because over the last year, I prayed for my enemies so much. And I, I pray that God is prospering them and blessing them mightily. So some questions for reflection in the matter of prayer. How is your prayer life? How much time do you schedule to be alone with God? 
I have set up in my bedroom. I have a chair that I sit in, and then I have another chair that's empty. And that's kind of corny for me, but at least I know God is sitting in that chair. And one of the chairs that's empty here today, God is sitting in that chair because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere simultaneously. And he is here with us, hearing what we're being told and, and encouraging God the Holy Spirit to make it understandable to us. And then how much time do you schedule to be alone with God? I said that. So I appreciate this ministry and I appreciate you. Thanks for sticking around during the sabbatical. Thank you for your financial support, which was just enough to keep the ministry afloat. I'm looking forward to seeing what God has in store for all of us in the coming year. Well, the closing moments of today's lesson are dedicated to anyone, anywhere, who has not decided about having a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want you to know that God wants you. And what he wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. When food manufacturers noticed your fast-paced mobile lifestyle, they came up with instant food, instant coffee, instant oatmeal, instant potatoes, instant TV dinners, instant gravy were among their initial culinary creations. And most of them were awful. You... This message is for those of you who want an instant relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. For those of you who may be wondering what's going to happen the instant you close your eyes in this life. There is an instant answer to your curiosity. And the Lord guarantees that in an instant, you can become a child of God. Now, you may not know your unfortunate circumstance at the moment of physical birth. And that unfortunate circumstance is called unrighteousness. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead as an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says this, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to the earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. Because Adam was appointed by God as the head of the human race. His first sin was credited to the account of all human creatures, resulting in spiritual death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered into the world through his sin, so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned, when Adam sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, It is written, There is no creature who is righteous at physical birth, not even one. Despite this unfortunate circumstance, there is good news from God that instantly frees you from sin, from spiritual death, and from the kingdom of death and darkness into which you were born. You're invited to be born again, the spiritual birth, moving from spiritual death to spiritual birth, into a spiritual life in God's kingdom of light, where sin is no longer sovereign over you. The Lord Jesus Christ offers you a so great salvation, 
and it is his will that you accept the free gift he has made possible for you at the cross. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for anyone to perish in the lake of fire, but wishing for all to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do you end up in the lake of fire? Do you end up in the lake of fire because you did bad stuff? Nope. You end up in the lake of fire when you reject a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you end up in the lake of fire the instant after your physical death, it will not be because the Lord wants you there. It will be your choice. So how can you get to heaven in an instant when you close your eyes in this life? By obeying God's plan for your salvation. Right where you sit right now, you can be saved in an instant. You can tell God the Father that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the instant of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. To believe means to take God's word for it regarding what it takes to be saved. And God says the one way, the only way to get to heaven is through believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way, and he meant to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God, and I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Now, who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says this, I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you, believers in Christ, as of primary importance, the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, According to the scripture, Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead is the thing that separated him from everybody else. Because if all he did is died on a cross, he's just another dead martyr like everybody else. But he is not that. He was raised from the dead on the third day. The Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead proved that he is deity and it qualified him to save you. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't good deed your way into heaven. You can't be a good person and get to heaven. You can only get to heaven by accepting the instant gift of salvation from a God who loves you so unconditionally that he sent his son to die for you on a cross to pay your way into heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind, and that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, and be clear on this, you are a sinner when you're an unbeliever, and when you're a believer, you're a saint. Believers in Christ are no longer sinners. We are saints. Christ died a sacrificial death for us. Now, God has an enemy, Satan, who deceives the whole world, including you, with a strategy to exploit human beings. And that strategy is called religion. 
And the religions of the world deceive you into thinking that you can work your way to heaven, that you can work to please God. But no religious ritual has ever been good enough to do anything except waste your time. Religious rituals absolutely won't get you to heaven. They just make you look stupid. It's wise to let God save you because once God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You cannot lose your salvation, and if anyone tells you you can, they are lying to you. There is no reason to be uncertain about what happens at the moment of your physical death. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life, eternal life, right at that moment, in an instant. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear that there is a consequence. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42 say this, Just as tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, those are unbelievers, and those who practice lawlessness. That's unbelievers. And the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But believers in Christ have a different fate. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Then the righteous, that's a reference to believers in Christ, will shine forth as the sun shines in the kingdom of their God and Father. At the moment of your salvation, believers in Christ, God credits his own righteousness to your account, and that is your admission ticket to heaven. So what's your choice? Are you for Christ or against Christ? A relationship with the Lord does not require blind faith. There is no such thing as blind faith. For the wise, faith is always invested after an examination. You have faith as a gift from God, and you can place your confidence in the object of your faith. To place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and to let him save you is a delicious move. You can reject a relationship with Christ or you can make an instant choice for Christ and the result, your salvation, stands finished forever. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 encourages us. There it is. He who has ears... Let him really hear these things. Some things that happen in an instant are quite tasty. So take a moment right now to wrap your mind around the only instant thing that lasts forever, a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's close with music. If you're a Christian, you are God's property according to John chapter 1, verse 12, which says this, Whosoever receives salvation from him, to these he gave the legal right to become children of God, the born-again ones from God, a gift to all those who place their trust in his name. Here's June Murphy singing the truth about our status in union with Christ in her song, You Own Me. ¶¶ 
so I could be your bride. You own me to your deity. You added human life. You're fully God, fully man. You are the sovereign great I am. You're my redeemer and friend. I am no longer enslaved to sin. And you And you
All right, let's praise our Lord in closing. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus, and he will make your path straight. For the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He'll be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you, so do not fear or be dismayed. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are those who wait for him. So humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he might promote you in due time, slamming all your cares on his back, because he cares for you. And we know that he cares for you is a Greek idiom, and it means God considers your problems to be his responsibility. Let's close in prayer. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for making the year of our Lord 2022 a time for sabbatical rest. Thank you for all the lessons you taught us during this time, especially the lesson of how much you and your word propel our lives. As we go forth into Satan's kingdom, help us to call the lessons you teach us easily to mind and let your perspective guide every one of our decisions. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.